Hey guys, quickly before we start this episode, we're actually going to be switching casual pour to a Tuesday morning schedule instead of a Monday morning schedule. So you're going to be hearing casual pour in those ears every single Tuesday morning instead of every single Monday morning. Yeah. Cheers. Sure. <laughs> All right, cool, cool, cool. I'm Robert Arari. I'm Sabatesh. It's Tuesday, March 10th, 2020. And welcome back to another episode of Casual Porn. What are you, uh, oh, we're drinking the same thing We today. are drinking the same thing yeah. today. Today we are drinking just a vodka seltzer. We're, we're keeping it simple. We need to keep it simple once. Yeah. Sal had a big boy night last night. I didn't have a big boy you night. You went out past your bedtime yeah, last night. Yeah, I, I had a fun night. I'm, I'm allowed to have a fun night. Well, you know, a couple episodes ago, you had a you had a tough, tough night. Yeah. Which you didn't want to get it, which you didn't want to get into. And I still don't want to get into. But I'll gladly talk about my night, which really wasn't that. Well, <laughs> yeah, 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 go ahead. Show off for the crowd that, I got <laughs> that, you, got, that you got I, drunk I, and that I, you stayed up a little bit late. Yeah. What are we talking about this week? So this week on the show, we're talking about um, the passing away of one of the most legendary leaders in business history, Jack Welsh, um, along with Jack Dorsey being kind of pushed out of Twitter by uh, Elliott Management and in an attempt for me and Robert not to talk about anything coronavirus related because we, I just can't listen to it anymore. Literally, <laughs> when we were looking for topics this week, it was just like this company shutting down operations for Corona. This sh- company so making the much too corona. much coronavirus. So we're not going to do Corona, um, and we're just going to kind of talk about each one of our favorite CEOs and, and why we like them. And you know, since Jack Welch passing away, he's one of the most legendary leaders ever. We think it's you know pertinent to what's going on. Then we're going to sit down with Andy Blacker, CEO of Songclip, amazing, amazing guy, uh, super. This like, started off as an interview about the music industry and, and unpacking it, it. Yeah, went follow this man's mental arc because he is one of the most very interesting sharp. thinkers that we've met. Incredibly sharp. We loved him. We had the best time with him. Great guy. Could not get enough of him. And we're going to top the show off with uh, Kia and Hyundai's investment in a EV company called Arrival. And where the $10 million investment. Yes. The EV world is always changing and electric vehicles are always changing and coming up. And I don't think we ever spoke about it on the show. So we're going to talk about electric vehicles a little bit. But let's start off with Jack Welsh. Rest do, you know, in peace. do you know much about Jack Welsh? I don't know as much about Jack Welsh as you know about Jack Welsh. I'm not like a Jack Welsh fanatic. My father was, is, is a Jack Welsh fanatic. Really? Yeah. He has like books all over the place, Jack <laughs> Welsh books. But Jack Welsh is one of the most legendary leaders in history. I'm not going to get into too much of his management style, but um, he joined the, well, he became CEO in 1981. Okay. Of? A GE. Right. I just assume people know that, but no, he joined. You know what they say about assumptions? People assume. What do they say? I never heard this quote. I I can't even imagine what you're going to say. Yeah. Yeah. You don't know this quote. They make an ass out of you and me, Sal. I thought my teacher made that up, actually. She, she was the first one to say it. Anyway, he joined uh, as CEO in 1981. The market cap of the company was $15 billion. When he left, market cap was $402 billion. Ooh. Yeah. His most famous quote is, winning is great. Not good. Great. Um, and he really, he was all about return, returns, 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 profit, profits, profits, growth at all costs. Um, some of the things he would do is he would fire 10% of his company's weakest 
performers each year and a policy called rank and yank. I don't like it. Yeah, I, I well, it worked at the time. It worked. You know, he was just a, he was just a very very powerful leader. He controlled his op. He knew everything that was going on in his operation twenty four seven, and he grew the company. So that was Jack Welsh. And it's funny if you look at uh, what's going on with Jack Dorsey. Jack Dorsey, in some ways, they couldn't be more different, right? Okay. So right now, Jack Dorsey, he's actually CEO of Square and Twitter, two companies. Funny enough, right across the street from each other, which he did purposely so he could kind of walk across the street to go handle business at each of the companies. Cool. Yeah. Um, a a company called Elliott Management, which is an activist investment company, they bought stake in Twitter. They want to basically kick Jack Dorsey out because they're basically saying he's not doing Why would you want to job. kick Jack Dorsey out? Because as an investor, they are saying, listen, Facebook stock is like through the roof. All these others, Google stock is through the roof, Apple, all these big companies are flying and Twitter stock is just doing okay, um, according to them. And so they want to get rid of Jack Dorsey. Yeah, we spoke about that in the last one about like that CEO drop pop. CEO yeah. drop pop. Yeah, yeah. So, so I like Jack Dorsey. He's one of my, he's, uh, so I had to pick two, two CEOs. It's Jack Dorsey and Satya Nadella. Those are going to be your two? Those are my two. So why Jack Dorsey? Um, so Jack Dorsey's like your non-management manager. Okay. So he's very much about separating himself a little bit from what's going on in his company. What I mean by that is he's not the ultimate, he tries to make it like he's not the ultimate decision maker. Like his employees can make decisions on their own. It's a very decentralized type of management style. And he doesn't really even have a desk at Square or Twitter. He kind of bounces around back and mm -hmm. forth and leaves it to his managers to handle. So there's he, master delegator. Master delegator and um, really, really great at hiring people. He's also very good at admitting his weaknesses. So every time Twitter makes a mistake or Square makes a mistake. I'm all he, about that. Yeah, he's super open about, this is where we went wrong. This is where we're gonna fix it. When he started Square, he went to his investors with like a list of 140 reasons uh, why Square would fail. Really? Yeah, and then uh, along with like rebuttals of why it wouldn't fail and investors love that. That's awesome. Yeah, and the rest is, is kind of history. He's also about an overarching mission. Everything is mission driven. Okay. Like Jack Welsh was very like results, results, results. Mm -hmm. um, not saying Jack Welsh in that vision, but he was very results focused. Right. Jack Dorsey's very much like, we'll get there. This is the overarching mission. If it takes 10 years, 20 years, I don't care. We'll get there. He also invented Twitter and Square. I mean, two huge companies. Like didn't he spend like a ton of time when he was doing Square? Didn't he just like spend a ton of time sitting in coffee shops and restaurants just watching people spend money? Yes. Wasn't that like a big part of yes, his research process? something like that. Just like dicking around he's in restaurants? Yeah, like he's obsessed with people. He used to be obsessed with... Um, Subway line transmitters to under yeah to really? understand oh if, really understanding the process and with the train when train goes this way train switches they go on that line why did it go on that line last minute switch I don't even know what I'm talking about right now this is from Jack Dorsey huh he likes to see the mechanics of how people and things move interesting yeah so that's Jack Dorsey I'm gonna I'm gonna put from my two CEOs yeah I'm gonna do um, Scott Harrison the CEO of Charity Water. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do Brian Chesky, uh, CEO of Airbnb. Okay, so let's start with Brian. Uh, yeah, let's start with Brian. So Brian is actually a um, huge inspiration for me when I was starting 1H2. The, um, Brian Chesky, CEO of Airbnb, founder of Airbnb. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Little fun fact, the reason it's called Airbnb is because him and his roommate were broke. And originally what they did is they said, we need to find a way to make a little bit of money. I heard the story. Yep, put a bunch of air mattresses on the ground and serve them, I think like cereal in the morning or something. So it was like an air bed and breakfast. And that became Airbnb. But I really like Brian Chesky for two reasons. The first is he is obsessive about customer feedback. Uh, And then the second thing, which I'll get into in a second, and then the second thing is he built his entire business around something he described as the 11 star experience, which I think is super cool. I've never heard of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell you. So it's, I love it. <laughs> but um, first, let's talk about the customers. So one of the things that happened early on in Airbnb's history is people weren't using Airbnbs, Why? which makes sense if you think about it, right? What's well, like the, the whole idea of, of, of literally going into out a fucking home, stranger's house that you met on the internet. Technically, if you think about it, shouldn't make sense. It's the it's like the exact opposite of everything we've ever been told to do. Agreed. Right. So he said, OK, how can I make this something that seems safe or seems inviting? It can't just feel safe. It has to feel inviting and exciting and better than a hotel, not just cheaper. So first thing he noticed is that a bunch of the pictures that people were uploading to Airbnb of their homes were crap. So, you know, cell phone pictures, crappy lighting, uh, unmade beds, yada, yada. People were just posting pictures of their room. Here, come sleep right. here. It's a step above Craigslist at that point. Um, so he was like, that can't be. No one's going to want to live in that. I wouldn't want to stay in one of those homes. So what did he do? He physically knocked on doors of Airbnb hosts every single day. Oh, Guy wow. would knock on doors, say, hi, I'm Brian. I'm the CEO of that company, Airbnb. He went- Literally himself, not with a photographer, would knock on doors and say, hey, I'm Brian. I'm the CEO of Airbnb. This is a photographer. Would it be okay if he took some professional pictures of your place Great that idea. we could post onto your profile? Great idea. Boosted, boosted conversion rates like crazy. People started, people started actually booking homes to these things. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Second thing is the 11-star experience. But wait, that's a lesson in- Yeah. Like you have two major problems. I have to make the home feel safe and I have to make the home- feel inviting in an atmosphere where, again, like Airbnb didn't exist yep. a couple of years ago. Now it, now it's normal. It wasn't normal back then. Yeah. He didn't. So the point is he well, didn't say like getting a couch on Craigslist. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like staying true. on a guy's couch on Craigslist or something. But he didn't say, oh, this is these are two big problems. I'm not dealing with this. Right. He's like, no, I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, exactly. He didn't run away from he, he, he ran through it. Yeah. Well, I love that. I love it because it's you solve the hard problem. If yes. you solve the hardest problem, then you win. And it's that simple. And he solved the hardest problem and he won. Yeah. The other thing is the 11 star experience, which goes into this idea of inviting. So what he said is, what he said is, um, what is the absolute worst experience and what is the beyond the beyond best experience? You've heard of a one star hotel or a five star hotel. He said, okay, so a one star experience on Airbnb is like, I show up to the Airbnb and the guy just doesn't even, isn't even there. I couldn't even get into my Airbnb. That's like a one star experience. Goes up the chain, goes up the chain. A three-star experience is I got there and the bed was okay. It wasn't super comfortable. Four-star experience is he left the chocolate on the bed, right? Five-star, you know, for me. So yeah. that I, you know, and five-star experiences, he gave me like, he looked into my profile and saw that I was really into like kite surfing or something. So right. he called ahead and got discount tickets for me to go kite surfing or something. He did this like himself. That. No, no. What I'm saying is like, oh. this is like, a, that's like a five-star experience, right? right? An 11, a six star experience. What gets better than that? Seven star experience, eight star experience. Paul McCartney fucking picks you up from the airport and says, before we go to the Airbnb, Elon Musk is taking you into space first and then we're landing and then we're going to drop you off at your Airbnb. And the host is 
knows everything about you and had booked all these things in advance for you, was even paying for your dinner. And of course, no one's going to do that. And that's unrealistic. But when you hear that, all of a sudden, chocolates on the bed sounds pretty reasonable. True. And so that's kind of how he approaches business. And I love that thinking. Absolutely, absolutely shoot for the moon. And you will land somewhere that actually works. And it and he did. Love it. Yeah. Love it. So that's Brian for me. Okay. Now, give me Satya Nadella. Satya Nadella came into Microsoft during one of the most, like, I don't want to say tumultuous because Microsoft's, like, they're great. I mean, they weren't in trouble. But, yeah, but they were getting boring. Uh, yeah, but Steve Ballmer was just a horrible, horrible CEO. Do you ever see that video? Uh, developers, developers, of developers. Of course. He was just so... <laughs> I remember you. I remember watching. I'll an post interview. the video on the website, guys. It is the funniest dance yes. in the world. But it's anyways. weird, but anyway, he <laughs> he was in an interview, and in the interviewer asked her, asked him, he's like, "What do you think about Steve Jobs announcing the iPhone, like the first iPhone?" And he was laughing. It's like it doesn't have a keyboard and it doesn't have Office. Who would buy that thing? And he's laughing. Yo, it doesn't have Office. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm watching this video. And I'm like, this guy didn't get it. Microsoft, for those of you who don't know, owned the internet, like literally helped invent the browser. They, they, most, most, almost everyone was using Microsoft computers. Yeah. They totally missed the smartphone world. They totally missed apps. Like they totally missed everything. All Steve Ballmer's fault. Huh. And he'll, he'll, you know, he'll say, oh, you know, it was, it was a tough time or I don't know. He made some other excuses. I was watching an interview. Anyway. Oh, fuck that. Yeah. Nadella came in uh, and really helped focus the company. Um, the stock is up about 350%, maybe more, I think more, since he joined in 2014. Sajan Nadella, up yes. 350% since he joined? Yes. Holy moly. Yes. And he's super, super focused. So he really helped Microsoft focus more on their cloud service, which all the big companies are doing now. They're focused on enterprise cloud. They're killing it there. Mm-hmm. Um, he brought a lot of Microsoft's products to iPhone and iPad and worked with Apple. Like he wasn't afraid to, right? you know what I mean? To just, oh, we're only gonna keep it on Microsoft. He was open to working with everyone. Um, he helped rebuild the company culture, really focused on culture, really focused on values like innovation, diversity, corporate, corporate social responsibility. The best thing for me was he's able to clearly define a course of action this is where we need to go this is how we're going to get there and this is this is how the team can execute it he's very clear and he's very and he doesn't let and like tim cook who was also one of my favorite ceos sal and i made a deal that he wasn't going to mention anyone from apple as his favorite ceos but you do get 30 seconds on tim cook at the end okay tim cook's great anyway um tim cook like sadia nadella didn't doesn't get involved in bad press or doing what other people think is right. They just stay focused on what, I guess what they think is right and what the company feels is right and staying course on company culture. Mm-hmm. I, don't know if I'm, I don't know if I explained that right. What are, you, what are you trying to say? No, I'm just saying he's just very focused. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Satya Nadella. And there's so much, I mean, we can go on for hours talking about their management style. We're just giving you a sneak peek. Just a sneakity piggity. The um, who's your who's the other guy? Scott Scott Harrison. Harrison, yes. Scott Harrison is the CEO of Charity Water. Um, few reasons that I really like him. Um, his story is amazing. Um, came at his business from a place of morals, from his charity, from a place of morality, uh, which we'll talk about in a sec. The other thing is he wears his failures on his sleeve, which I really love. Like Jack Dorsey. Like Jack Dorsey cool. does. Unlike Steve Ballmer. 
Sounds uh, totally unlike Steve Albert. Yeah. Um, and then the last is he's just a master storyteller in general. I, I, was, I didn't know the guy. You were listening yeah. to a podcast and I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah. So that? I was listening to Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman and he does, a, he does like a master, he does a Masters of Scale interview. Basically, we need to know about this guy. He started off as a club promoter. He was, really? yeah, he oh, was a club that. promoter in New York. He was representing like 40 clubs. He was throwing parties for like MTV, Bacardi, yada, yada. And he was making millions of dollars, had the beautiful penthouse or at least a super nice apartment. He said he had a grand piano. Living it up. Yeah, girlfriend was on the cover of some magazine, he said. He said he had all the things that he thought he wanted and he was miserable and he didn't understand why he was miserable and he was filled with rage. And then one day there was a shooting at a club and he woke up the next day and he said, what is the exact opposite of my life? And he's like, fuck it. He said, I'm taking a year off. He applied to every single charity that he could. Eventually, one charity accepts him. Mercy Ships accepts him as a photojournalist for them. They do um, uh, hospital ships around the world. And they said, we'll accept you. You're more than welcome to volunteer for us, but you have to pay us 500 bucks a month and you have to move to Liberia. Well, he has money. Yeah, he's like, fuck it. I'll give you 500 bucks a month and I'll move to wherever Liberia is. Sure. And he said he never even heard of it yet. But when he got there, super, he became exposed to poverty. And but he just did it like extreme, like yeah, one just night. like that. Just decided what is the exact opposite of my life and went for it. And <laughs> next thing you know, three weeks later, he's in Liberia and he was exposed to extreme poverty and he realized there could be a solution here. He is this insane storyteller and he used his own strife as a means to show people that impossible tasks, even if you think they're too far gone, are possible and everything is redeemable. And so the next thing he did is he launched Charity Water, which helps... Um, which helps villages across Africa and across impoverished parts of the world get water and uh, build water rigs inside of their inside of their villages so that they can have clean water, right? You know how the ad for this is supposed to look, right? It's a bunch of like really sad kids that are starving, that are thirsty, you know, kind of like the ASPCA commercials. Yeah, like every thinking. single dog look like they're just terribly, terribly sad. He said, fuck that. I agree. Yeah, problems are good. Problems get your attention. But he said people have something called compassion fatigue, right? Wow, that's so great. People I so are, agree with yeah. that. I so agree with that. People are inspired by solutions. So instead of just showing the impoverished kids, he showed what happened after Charity Water came in. He showed kids jumping around while water is spraying out of these rigs and having and thousands of people drinking water together and showing how much life it brought back to the community, inspired people to want to be a part of it, to want to wear their t-shirt, right? Amazing. But then one time it didn't work. One time it didn't work. I just spilt my drink all, all over it. myself, all, all over myself. Nice. What's it, I'm going to reek of vodka. Nice. The, um, what's it called? He realized that it didn't work one time. Right? They tried to build a rig and the rig was basically getting built into quicksand and it just didn't work. So what did he do? He released the video saying this one didn't work. We're going to come back and we're going to try again. And it went viral. Great. And people started donating. And 100% of what they do goes to, um, goes to work in the, uh, goes to the charity work. And there's right. very few, very little overhead costs. And if there is, it's through a separate fund. Um, so if you're donating, it goes directly to these people. So we built transparency into it, which is hence the right. mistake. But they were running out of cash once. And they said, we, need, we have a little bit of money to spend. We need to figure out a way to raise some money for this. And so conventional wisdom would say like, let's get our message out there fast. Let's get it punchy. Let's get people excited. Well, people yeah, that's short attention spans, right? He said, fuck that. I'm making a 50 minute video about the story of Charity Water. Just the story. Charity Water's name isn't even mentioned until nine minutes into it. Love it. 
and they raised millions of dollars and they've been growing to this day just off the back of that thing. He took the risk and he went for it. He wore his failures on his sleeve and he came from his business from a place of morality. I love it. Good so that's, for him. That's Scott Harrison for me. One of my favorite CEOs. You don't hear, I, you don't hear those often, like just woke up that morning and just decided. Fuck it. That's so hard to do. I can't do that. Do you want your 30 seconds on no, Tim Cook? No, I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about Tim Cook. I don't. I was just going to say he's the most focused CEO I've ever seen. Uh, super focused on profit margins and super focused on not getting involved in the news. Um, he had so many times when people said, oh, this guy's not Steve Jobs. This guy's not Steve Jobs. The company's going to tank. They need an innovator. And he just stayed focused and made great products, worked with his team, admitted when he couldn't do something and when other people could. He's a great CEO. Anyway, we'll leave it off there. Um, up next is Andy Blacker, CEO of SongClip. Looking forward. Stick around. And then after that, we're going to talk about Arrival. Yes. Stick around. And we are back with Casual Poor. Today, we are sitting down with Andy Blacker. Andy, how's it going, man? It is going well. It's great to be here, guys. We're so we're so honored that you you drove in tonight to come here. I mean, we're, we're actually like... We're Should be noted, this is a show where we drink alcohol. Andy, since he was driving, decided not to drink alcohol on the show. That for, is, for that is correct. Adult. <laughs> yeah. We're all for Casual Pours, but we're about making sure that you have your next Casual Pour, too. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. I, nice. You know, that was a good Don't drink too. and drive, kids. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andy, welcome to the show. One more time. <laughs> I'm feeling like I should have drank. Yes. Um, thank, you. <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm actually really excited about what you guys are doing. So, Awesome. So, the, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, at this point, we've already told people what SongClip is or the basis of how SongClip works. So, we could skip right past that part. What I was really excited about SongClip with was this idea of social music in general, right? Like right now, music is a very personal experience, right? I have my Spotify playlist that I have all my favorite songs on. And I get my best songs from my best friend who also has a shared Spotify playlist with me. I have all my best friends on it, right? Can you walk me through kind of, I mean, that's like one example of social music, all of us sharing a Spotify playlist. What are some other ways that people are just interacting with music differently? Great question. And let's, let's back up to, yeah, to right. go forward. Yes. Okay? <clears throat> Agreed. So first and foremost, I think understanding definitions is really important, right? Sure. So social music is not an attempt to be clever. Um, it does refer, if you go five to eight years back, to people sharing playlists. Social music, if you go about 30 years back, is somewhere between having music at a party. And then on the flip side, social music was how you would stack your CDs when certain girls would come over or certain friends would come over because it right. was your branding, right? Social music as we look forward today is not about sharing playlists. It is about expression. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yes. And so when you think about social and you think about 50 billion GIFs and emojis. To GIFs? GIFs. Robert doesn't like when people call it GIFs because he thinks it's called GIFs. I know it's called GIF. Whatever. Uh, other episode. Go on. <laughs> I, I, re I really should have drank. Um, okay. So, um, 
There is a reason why it's called GIF and not JIF, but we will get to that later, um, especially because it's GIFY, not JIFY. So, so social music is not a new term. Social music is not a new term, like saying the word fresh is not a new term, but Got fresh it. in the 80s meant something different than what fresh means today, okay? Well said. So here is, I think, what we need to establish before we have this interesting and very open dialogue and hang about music. When I talk about social music, and when a lot of the folks who I think are innovating, men and women, right, across both the music industry and across the social verse, which is like apps and platforms and keyboards, they're talking about social music as expression and as instantaneous, right? So a good example of social music could be TikTok. Mm -hmm. A good example- Classic. Of, yep, right? Yeah. And a good example of social music could be the fact that Instagram allows music on stories. Right. However, I have to imagine, and we're going to talk about it today <laughs> or this evening, that when you think about music as a global language and the power of it and the monetization factor for that valuable IP, which is not like an emoji or a GIF or a sticker or anything else, and the legalities and the complexities of it, the ability to integrate music across many different formats, either as a skin. What do you mean by as a skin? A skin could be the ability, not unlike a photo filter on Snap, mm. but the ability to skin an actual photo or video, the ability to actually make customized singing emoji stickers that mm. are either specific to expression or specific to an artist. Wow. The ability to look at big, broad categories like sports and the gaming industry and what's going to happen there and what's going to happen with AI and greeting cards and keyboards. It, it is very, very important to understand <laughs> that music as a three and a half minute song yep. is not going to work in social expression. So you think music's going to change? Music's not going to change as a format that we listen to. The distribution of music has changed from a cassette, a radio, an LP, a download, and now a stream. That three and a half minutes is the way that we consume music. I'm talking about how you create and express and innovate with music, mm. and it's going to happen quickly. So the ability to say, I love you, right? could be by Adele, mm -hmm. or it could be by your favorite rapper, and how you wish to and where you wish to express that might be on a picture, a photo, it might be on your Tinder, your Grinder, your Bumble, right? It might be when you slam dunk on an NBA game, right? So the thesis, the thesis and the mission, right, for social music is to open up the ability to innovate, incubate, right, and integrate music across all these varied platforms so that the young girl at Starbucks or the young boy who's sitting at a WeWork space actually wants to dream about the music space. Because I can tell you right now, there are so many interesting ideas and every single person, even though I don't agree with this, says, well, I'm not doing music because that's too hard. What's, what's so hard about it? Oh my gosh, it's, it's litigious, it's expensive, it's complicated, it takes time, etc." And I think that the mission of social music is to unlock the value chain of what is a five to $10 billion opportunity. I want to talk about the least sexy word you had in there, which was compliant. 
Yeah. You, there's a whole musical, legal underbelly. There's a whole world that happens before a song actually reaches your ears. There's a thousand different people yep. that play a so role let's, in that. So Can let's we talk, talk about, about that. that. <laughs> let's deconstruct a song. Let's deconstruct a song. Let's, let's do it. Let's that do sounds it. Like a, that sounds like a song title. Okay. It does. So, to make this digestible, um, I'll give you my best take. Music has a value and must always be paid for, period. It's not free. It's not like some of the other things that we talk about that float through the web, right? Mm -hmm. Music, when you hear a song, and we'll use Shiny Happy People by R.E.M., okay? Mm -hmm. On one side, what you hear is controlled by a music label. So anything that you're used to hearing and singing along to, the actual audio is controlled by the label. On the other side, what created that song? The lyrics and the composition. That is controlled by a publisher. Mm -hmm. In general, about 90% of all music you hear is owned by one of the three labels, and they are Sony, Universal, and Warner. Okay? Got it. On the other side, the publishing rights, which are the lyrics and composition, the ability for someone to re-record a song or a student in a conservatory to play that song on the piano, the composition and lyrics are owned by publishers. And in the publishing side, there are five major ones. So there is Sony ATV, Warner Chapel, Universal Music Publishing Group, mm -hmm. Cobalt, and BMG. Now, interesting. Th that might sound like that's actually not that hard. That's like kind of like seven movie studios, right? Here's where it gets really interesting. An artist who is signed to Sony like Billy Joel, right? His publishing rights may be controlled by Sony, but they might also be controlled by Universal Music Publishing Group. Mm -hmm. And more importantly, especially since we have 24-7 access now to the creative process with the pop and rap and rock stars that we love, you see a lot of people in the room, from producers to sound engineers to mixers to best friends to the guy who just delivered Postmates. <laughs> yep. When those folks are in the room, when the next Logic song is written, there's a really good chance, because he's feeling it, that he just wants to list Saul and Robert and Andy and the pizza guy and some other folks as the publishers and songwriters, because they were there. Hmm. On one song, you could actually have 22 different people. So where's the money? Now everyone's getting paid. But here's the issue. More importantly, who actually does the reporting on that? Let's start there. So on one side, it's easy to say Billy Joel, we'll use him again, right. is Sony. So they get paid on the audio. But when it comes to the actual publishing, right, and I'm kind of being absurd on purpose, but there is the chance that there could be up to seven to 18 people, seven to 18 different people that have songwriting credits. Hmm. Well, if three of them are just like a guy who played the tambourine for one song and he never actually worked with a publishing group, and he happened to just be there, he's not going to be registered with any publisher. Yeah, he's just a guy. Right. But because of, the way that, because of the way that our system was set up to protect this IP, if in fact you use that music without the consent of the publishing or the administer of those publishing rights, you set yourself up for a $125,000 lawsuit. Ooh. And the idea that I've heard many times over that you can use five seconds of music for free or 10 seconds of music for free. Is that just not true? Are we allowed to curse on this or no? Oh, oh yeah. yeah. All right, so it's wrong. 
<laughs> um, it's, it's just not true. And so what happens and why people say the music industry is so complicated is because of the reporting and the infrastructure. That's not the industry's fault. It's just the way it was built over time. And a lot of these folks never sign up and they wait. And so when you see issues with, let's say, a major exercise company that might have done everything correct with music, and suddenly they're getting sued for you know a lot of money, right. if this were the case, it's not because they didn't do things right, but that's a major exercise company. When a major streaming company, it turns out, does everything correctly, but surprise, surprise, a group from the 70s that never really was that important finds out that some of their songs, actually one of the songwriters wasn't paid, suddenly you've got a multi, multi-million dollar lawsuit. So I'm assuming there's a lot of these lawsuits. There are, but it's not caused by the music industry. I think the music industry gets a bad rap. I think what, what happens is on the label side there and the publishing side, there is great infrastructure, but it is very, very complicated. I think that one of the things that interests me a lot is I think in the future, you're going to be seeing a lot of leverage across blockchain. You're seeing a lot of investment in human um, and technology capital at, at these companies. But let's go back even further and remember that at the end of the day, these companies and these artists are great at promoting great material. There's more content out than ever before, which is awesome, yep. right? But they did pay for this. They paid for those rights. And so they- Who, do, who paid for the right? The music label paid for the right to that song. Got it. And then they have to recoup that money down the road, whether it's through selling CDs or through LPs. And there were moments where it was really exciting. 1990s, I'm assuming. Right. And unlike, unlike sports, yep. where you're like, oh, darn, I was a famous basketball player in the 70s. And if you were a famous basketball player in the 2000s, you'd like have $100 million. Yep. It's the reverse in music. You wanted to be an artist in the 70s and yep. the 80s and the early 90s because you got a double dip. Not only did you sell your album for 14 bucks, and you probably got $4 of it nice. if you were the artist, but right during that time, the CD came out. And so guess what? You sold that exact same You'd music. buy a whole album for oh, one Oh, because song. the record was out and the CD was out. So you're saying like they were making money off of every single form of every medium. Well, the, the consumer, the consumer didn't get to bring their LP to Tower Records and said like to exchange it for a CD. Right. They made me buy a record. Then the Walkman came out. So then I bought cassettes and then the CD play, the CDs came out and that wasn't nefarious. That was just technology evolving at what we thought was a rapid, rapid, rapid rate. God, I'm really happy with where we were born. <laughs> yeah. We were no. born in. Yeah. And, I'm, and I'm really happy where I was born because the difference between us, let's call it 15 years on a good day. Yeah. <laughs> on a good, on a good day. The difference is this. We both have had, all three of us have had amazing experiences with music. And I know that because music's the global language, right? Sure. And every person has had that DNA of music in the moments where they couldn't express themselves and in the moments of joy, et cetera. We don't need to go down that rabbit hole. We all get it. And everyone, by the way, thinks that they have the best ear and they can hear the next big thing. Yep. If I take, duh, put any name after it, or I take Lil and put any name after it, right? Mm -hmm. They might have 400 million streams on their third single right now on Spotify. 
mind-blowing stuff, right? Right. Okay. And Lil or Duh, right? <laughs> Add whatever you want after that. Yep. Okay. 10 years from now? No, I'm talking five years from now. I don't think you'll be able to remember Lil or Duh. But even though they have 250 million streams, sitting on the dock of the bay is still going to be played 10 years from now or 20 years from now at very important events. It just will be. And so will James Taylor, You've Got a Friend. And if you look at the numbers for those two songs in streaming versus Lil and Duh and others, they, they, they're like only 20% of that. They haven't even cracked 100 million. Listen, the argument goes like this in my head. And you guys have me here, so this is just my thought. That's, yeah, that's the point of the show. Were the Eagles the best rock band in the 70s? I mean, they, had, they happened to live in, in the same building as David Geffen, as the story goes, and mm -hmm. so did Joni Mitchell, and so did others, right? Um, there were a bunch of guys, right, that controlled an industry, and they decided what was played. Well, okay, well, that, that's why a lot of those bands were as big as they were, right? right? Yeah. Now we have the reverse, which is there's so much going on, right? On the other side, my son is 13 and he's making his own, literally his own, you know, rap, rock and pop. I can't walk down the hallway of our company, which I love, without people who are not even in the content group telling me and showing me their new single, which by the way, was, it just broke on SoundCloud. What? Which song? Well, a single, of oh, course, that yeah. they created. And I said, oh, what part, like, what part did you play? And they're like, well, I just grabbed a loop and a sample, and then they <laughs> auto-tuned it. And like, how cool is that, though? Right. So it's, it's more accessible than ever before, also. What it sounds like is music, or at least the creation of music, has become democratized. Right. It With has become democratized. I would put it this way. It's very similar to when the camcorder came out, right? Or a better example is YouTube. So mm -hmm. a lot of people ask, why did YouTube happen, right? Like, what, what did Chad do and his partner that was so exciting? And I would argue that, you know, at the time I was at AOL, and there were other companies like AOL that were doing video. And whenever we would do something, we'd do something big, like make a commercial and we will air it during the Super Bowl, literally. Yeah. And we get like, you know, 50 Betamax tapes and like 100, you know, VHS tapes. That's it? And stuff. Yeah. That's crazy. But what happened was YouTube came out at the exact moment that phones really got cameras with video quality, right? Because if you look at YouTube in the beginning, it was all shaky, like people uploading from their VHS tapes. But once we all became our own cinematographers, YouTube kind of really became this thing. So the timing was right. The technology was right. And it was as easy to use as an ATM machine. I think what's interesting and exciting to me is that you have some powerhouses out there, right? That they, they're making just amazing music, but it's a marketplace now. So you're right. It's 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 to me it's exciting because I can find whatever type of music I wish. I would also say I think it's very daunting because a lot of folks are in the crossfires of like, you know, the number one album last year sold nine hundred thousand copies, and like that's like that's like a crappy album by like you know, Boston, right? In their last year, you know, like you used to sell 10 I million albums, Boston. right? Or yeah. 15 million albums. And so you don't sell albums anymore. You sell streams. How do you get streams? Is it through TikTok, right? Or is it through like, do our songwriters and- Is, and, is TikTok the future of music? Um, TikTok is 
not the future of music, not because I don't like TikTok, but because the future of music is like holding water in your hands. It's going to go where it wants to go, right? I mean, you can't hold it. There's no one place. Like, in other words, mm. at a certain point, MTV had to pivot and become a reality television platform, right? Yeah, that, yep. we still don't understand that. But. But, but it had to. Yeah. Because as someone smarter than me told me, you can't be the coolest nightclub forever. A better analogy would be must-see TV, right? Um, so you had to be there on Thursday nights, and everyone the next day was talking about what happened, right? The idea that like people would gather around a television set now or their computer or their phone and wait seven days for a show to drop, it's, it's not happening. But on the flip side, the whole country was talking about it. And so I don't know that one is better or worse. I do know this. And I am like the biggest fan of like understanding and, and sort of being a social anthropologist about what motivates people. We're racing towards the sun at a ridiculous pace. And I think sometimes it's important to understand that technology or just because you can do it doesn't mean it's better, mm -hmm. right? The idea that my son will have Amazon delivering his stuff or Postmates, the idea that he'll already know his class before he even graduates from high school, it's like, well, then what's the point? And, and what it all gets down to is, the death of spontaneity. And so when you get into rapid technology and rapid response, again, I, I used to have a phone, right? My voicemail now says, do not leave a voicemail. I used, to write out, <laughs> I, used to, I used to write out texts, right? Now we're all cool with just a thumbs up. Th like, is, is the world, seriously, is every single thing you write, is it possible that the expression of a thumb up, thumb down, a heart, or an exclamation or a question mark is the answer to that. I mean, if that's true, the greatest advancement in our lifetime is to go back to the most primitive five ways to communicate. I like it. I don't like it. Oh my gosh. And I don't understand it. And then I love you. What did you say? There's more spontaneity today because I can take out my phone and record something and post it. And back in the day, it was more, uh, any content you were consuming was painstakingly edited, perfect half hour lighting was perfect everything was perfect and today anyone just takes out their phone and posts something so we could debate it i actually said there's less spontaneity today because you don't have the concept of running to a record store to bring it back to music and grabbing that album and opening it up and like really trying to understand why depeche mode put personal jesus first and reading oh, through all the liner man. notes and all that stuff right and on the other side, you don't know what it's like to meet your best buddy and the two girls that you're really interested in on 86th Street to go to the movieplex right. to see Raiders of the Lost Ark 2. Like, you're either there at 8.30 or you're not there at 8.30. Like, I can't even, like, imagine that today, right? Yeah, and that's, uh, I was just reading about this. It's like the idea of even calling someone and saying, like, where are you is basically a decade old because you are usually attached to a landline. Right. So you knew where you were. But like if I called you at home and you picked up, you were home. Right. And like you'd go to a show. Like I remember seeing the Thompson twins at Madison Square Garden. Trust me, it was a big deal back then. And they had these three, <laughs> three large white descending staircases. And there are three members of the Thompson twins. One's a woman, one's an African-American who had dreads on top, and one's a guy with like a shaved head, right? 
And they come down the steps and they go like, here's to future days. That was the name of the song. And they had glowing drumsticks, which no one had back then. Mm -hmm. So they're like two stories about walking down these white staircases, going click, 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 click. And the whole audience is going click, 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 click with them. And then they go, here's to future days. And then they go down another two steps and they go click, 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 click. On the second click, the gentleman whose name escapes me with the dreads yeah. misstepped because he was so focused on this new technology of glowing drumsticks and click, click. <laughs> He fell off the staircase. Oh my God. <laughs> and that was it. They turned on the house lights. They like took him off the stage. Like you could see them talking. I think a mic was hot for a while and they're like, we're going to need a drummer for the show. I mean, <laughs> that was a sold out concert. Do you know what I mean? Like that was crazy. Like that to me is spontaneous. Now on the flip side, you know what's really spontaneous? Um, hey dude, like I just checked. And I see that you're like one minute away. Let's go grab a drink. And by the way, I already ordered you your seltzer because I know it's your fave. Like it's that's not spontane spontaneity. That's efficiency. There, mm. you guys don't know spontaneity, and that's fine. To bring it back to music, I would say this: we want agnostic to where I work because we agreed before we sat down that we're not talking about my company. We're talking about the business. I think the exciting things for me are as follows. Number one, the music industry, the myth has been shattered. The music industry isn't slow. It's not that they don't get it. It's that they have paid a lot of money to build artists' careers, and they are protective of their IP, period. Number two, the music industry is doing stuff that consumers will be engaging with in the next year that will be mind-blowing. Number three, for artists, the place that they make money, which you guys should know, is yes, through streaming and people still buy albums, but where they make the most money is from touring. Here's the good news. Let's not debate streaming. Like, I'm not going to debate you guys that must-see TV Rose was <laughs> at your age is ever going to make sense. Just like my parents telling me that changing the channel and having to get up from the couch enhance the experience, okay? It's a false sense of security that each, each generation yields to try and have leverage over getting older. They mm. take a shitty experience where they didn't have the tech or the evolution <laughs> and they say it was better, right? Wow. Right? <laughs> yeah, I guess Like, that's... I mean, it was so much better when I was, my daughter turned 39 and died of syphilis while we churned the butter and like, you know, yeah. like one bathtub. Like, it, it's it, like a midnight in Paris. It's like the Owen Wilson movie. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's yeah. a little bit like that, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> but do you, do, you Go th on. do you think that the music industry got better? Because they didn't, when they were getting pummeled from uh, Napster in the early 2000s, they were not ready for it. So do you think they learned or do you think it was always innate that they were, that they were innovative? Because now they're innovative. I know they're protective of their IP, but now they're more open to innovation. Do you think that changed? I think that that's a tough question to answer as someone who only builds companies that serve the music industry. Yeah. I can name companies that are some of the most popular music applications that never got the rights and they went a different path. And, and, and by the way, sometimes you have to do that, right? Like, and so some of those companies basically said, we're just, we have an idea, we're going to go for it. And they got cease and desist and cease and desisted. And then all of a sudden, 
they had 10 million, 20 million, 50 million people on their platform. Right. Their valuation goes up to, you know, $500 million. Oh, wow. They then sit down and they make re restitution, right? Mm. That's one way to do it. There's not enough capacity currently for the amount of folks that want to innovate with music. It's the philosophy is there. You wouldn't have tech stars. You wouldn't have folks like, you know, uh, Tuheen Roy and Alex Kamins and Eamon Best. And like, there are just so many amazing executives that are out there leading the charge for innovation, right? But that being said, every single person wants to grab this. And we live in a culture now where it's like, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, it's not a GIF, it's not an emoji. Like, there's a lot of money that went into building these careers. And I think the next phase of this is to say, what are the new rules, right? Like, like if I'm an artist and I have 80 million followers on Instagram, mm -hmm. I may understand why I needed someone in the industry to distribute a CD because I didn't have a CD presser and I didn't know how much, like, and then I'd have to buy trucks and then I'd have to know how much of my CD to bring to Austin, Tower Records versus Brooklyn versus Detroit versus Ann Arbor, Maine or Michigan. Awesome, I get that. But if you can go like we're doing right now and make your own music and you can distribute it yourself and you can get on James Corden by yourself, like, is there a role for the labels? And I would say there will always be a place for the labels and the publishers because the administration of these rights is hard. The building of careers is hard. Understanding the live performance space is hard. The legality, the monetization is hard and the marketing is hard. Um, but and they handle all of that and they're experts. They do, but you're also seeing, you know, some amazing folks like Adam Alpert, who is the, you know, the the co-founder of the Chainsmokers. He put those two DJs together um, and he built just a kick-ass business. I mean, it's a great, it's a they're a great band, right? They're they're great performers, but he was the one who came up with like releasing a single every seven days. And like he was just like reconstructing and rethinking stuff. And a major label grabbed him and, and they inserted him. You could look at Avery and Monty Lippman, who run Republic. Um, they're killing it. Yeah, but they've always killed it, even when they're selling, you know, LPs from the back of their car. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's at the end of the day, I think you have to not walk in and respect the executive, he or she. That's not what the music industry is asking for. They're asking you make a commitment when you walk in to walk in the front door, to respect the IP. And it's no different than if you want to go on a site and bit torrent a new movie, or do you want to pay for it? And it's just not right. For... You wouldn't download a car. Do you remember those ads? Yes. <laughs> yes. I, what? I never you don't remember those ads? No. They try to get you to not torrent right. stuff? You wouldn't download a car. And what was the other? The other was like, you know, something about the, the somehow the FBI could see me. Yeah. I'm like, really? Because I know about, I mean, I was 14 at the time, but I'm like, I know how Nielsen works and you actually have to get up and hit a box and tell Nielsen when hey, you're you change, watching. No, when really? you're changing the channel. I am now going to the bathroom. Ding. <laughs> You'd be like, I just switched to NBC, but do you know how many people across America were like, would forget? Right. They changed the channel and like they'd forget to hit oh, the Nielsen box. Oh, it didn't do box. it automatically? Oh, no, no, not at the beginning. No. no. Wow. Let's grab that and I'm going to ask you guys some questions. Okay. I've been talking for a while. Yeah. Here's my question for you guys. Sure. This never happens to us. I'm Good. not ready for this. Well, put down your drinks and let's get uncasualed. Um, <laughs> here's the question for you guys. 
we talked about early on, were these bands super bands in the 70s, right? right? Or were the A&R guys, and it was guys, just picking four bands? Fleetwood Mac, The Eagles, Boston, Journey, right? Not that I'm not, I, I'm the hugest fan of those bands and the people who found them. But you're right. There was limited distribution. I get what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. Well, same thing was with True With Television, right? Right? So like Love Boat and Fantasy Island and I Love Lucy and all this stuff, right? Okay. So you laugh when you say there were only 12 channels back then and you're right to laugh. However, the question I ask is, let's talk about the 10 albums. Actually, I'll make it easy. Name four albums that came out and you won't offend anybody because I'm the only one in the industry here, right? Yeah, true. Name four albums that came out in the last, I don't know, two years that you think are seminal, right? Seminal meaning that it's like, you know, I won't give you any help, but seminal, right? Or if you're not comfortable doing it with music, name four shows that came out on any platform, ABC, NBC, streaming service, HBO, whatever, that are seminal in the last two years. I'll go, wait, you, you I'll go, wait. You go first. And I'll wait. Ah, this is a fun one. Okay, let's see. Um, I'm having some seltzer. Just so that I could ask the dumb question first. Seminal, timeless, we're talking about here. Important and timeless. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm Doesn't even have to be game-changing. Right, just, just want, important, I want, timeless, I want important, real art, high quality. Last two years. Important, real art, high quality. I'm going to go with Damn by Kendrick. I'm going to start there. Okay. Um, incredibly well thought out album. All the things that you would said, like when you said, oh, why is Depeche Mode? Depeche Mode, right? Yep. Why did they choose this song as the first? And that one, that's all very well thought out inside of Kendrick's album. So much to the point where he literally names the names of every single one of the songs. Like let's say song seven, he'll name titles from six through one yep. in that same exact thing, in that same exact uh, song. So yep. he's really well thought out. The music is incredible. The lyric, the subject matter is incredible. He's touching on important topics. And on top of that, I think it was innovative musically. So I'm going to put that one in there for rap. Great. Um, we need one more piece of music and give me two shows. One more piece of music and two shows. I'm going to go with one more piece of music. I'm going to give it to... Shit. Because there's great music that's come out in the past two years. There's great. incredible music that's come out in the past two years. Which one of these did I hear and was like, this is fundamentally the best in future of this industry, or at least the building blocks that every future artist is going to build themselves on? I don't know if I can name another one right off the top of my head. We're gonna, I want to asterisk that for our audience and explain exactly why I knew that my hypothesis would work. I didn't care what your answers were. <laughs> I'm like, I'm on my computer. I'm like, oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> he was no, but the, but the, for anybody listening, Sal was literally typing this entire time. I was so nervous. The, the, the thesis was because there is no, <laughs> it's not spontaneity now. There's actually no brand alliance because you don't have to, right? In other mm. words, if you can binge, I mean, I can speak for myself. I'm really into podcasts right now, right? Uh, I'm like two. eight episodes in, right? To um, it's uh, bear, uh, wood bear, a bear brick, or whatever it is. It's a true crime. Okay, cool. Uh, eight episodes in, nice. Fifty-seven minutes each. Oh my god! No commercials. Okay, I paid for that, <laughs> and I'm going, and I'm going, and I'm going, and like I kind of know who the killer is at this point, but like I know the really good stuff. I've, I'm like, it's coming. Yep. And I'm like, eh, I kind of think I know the ending. I don't know the fucking ending. Like, 
what I what's fascinating to me is I, I used to like when I was five years old, I was allowed to watch the Grammys in my room. Right? Big moment. It was because like that's what kids were allowed to do at the Super Bowl. But my parents let me they brought in the TV on a tray, like oh, wow. whatever, and I watched it. God, I love music so that boring. Much. The only one time I got to stay up past my bedtime was the two thousand eight election. Oh boy. That, that's so fitting. Yeah. I was gonna <laughs> <laughs> um I wish you'd done it in our last election. But um so <laughs> what I would say is that like matter a lot, right? I will openly say, while I'm a huge supporter of the Grammys because of my industry, I know people that don't watch the Grammys. They kind of follow a person on Twitter and get the highlights, or better yet, they get the best clips of the Grammys. And better yet, it just says on the clip, Demi Lovato kills with her new song. And even though they don't know the song, they don't click on it because they don't have time for to listen for a minute, and they feel like they already know what that is. John Mulaney just hosted SNL. Mm -hmm. Every you know, like kind of cool blog gives you the seven best skits. Yes, I don't have time to click on that. Coronavirus was just discovered in New York. I read the headline. I assume I know that it's in New York. Yeah, right. I mean, who dropped a, who dropped a single last night? I'll give you a hint. He or she is the biggest, one of the biggest superstars in the world. Lady Gaga. Correct. Who dropped his album like a week ago? Biggest, biggest pop star in the world. Justin Bieber. What's his album called? Yummy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Who sang the new James Bond song? Billie, Billie Eilish. Eilish. Got it. So that's interesting, right? So it's kind of like, Lady Gaga won, but you don't get it. You both kind of stumble on Justin Bieber's album, which, by the way, is awesome. Um, I love Justin Bieber. I just don't know the name of his album. Right. Okay. But, yeah. but great. Um, and then, but like I say, who sang the new James Bond? And you're both like, Billie Eilish. But I think Billie Eilish breaks through because she has that Justin Bieber, that Adele, that Taylor Swift, that moment where the talent, the persona, the culture, the timing, the relationship, the authenticity, the sound is correct. Mm -hmm. Not to disparage, but where's Lord? Yeah. Yeah, I always said that. Like, where'd she go? And by the way, I'm one of Lord's biggest fans. So please make more music. Love you. But like, you know, there's only, there are only about four or five of those artists. Beyonce is one. Jay-Z is one. Kendrick, potentially, right? Mm -hmm. But there are only like five or six of them. You know, and I think with Billy, what you have is one, she's young. Two, she hasn't changed her look. She hasn't dyed her hair once. I mean, it's just green. It's been green for every single award show and right. And yeah. it's just like she has a very specific way in which she communicates to her fans about being female and about being empowered mm -hmm. without having to say anything. She's very open and she's legit. And, and she and her brother write amazing, amazing music. Like that would have been, I would say Billie Eilish's album is a seminal album. I'd say Stranger Things is a seminal television show. I would say that A Good Place is a seminal television show. Again, to turn the table on you guys, I'd ask you guys this. You have a million bucks. I, I'm going to give you $10 million. Okay. 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 Sweet. You're going to build a innovative app first, an app business to consumer. So you're going to have to go get consumers, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Where would you, where would you, 
and don't look at each other to answer this. Where would you, where would you want to, where, what, what industry would you want to do it? And I'll give you five. Would you want to do it in sports? Would you want to do it? No right answer. I'm not being clever. Yeah. Would you probably just it? give a, another one that's not sports. Would you want to do it in sports? Would you want to do it in weather? Would you want to do it in dating? Would you want to do it in communication? Would you want to do it in entertainment? Or would you want to do it in gaming? And why? You have 10 million bucks. I would. I'm going to communication. Where are you going, Saul? I do dating. All right. So why communication, Robert? Huge, huge market that's always going to be there. Everyone's going to be communicating. The question is going to be, how can you make it faster? How can you make it easier? How can you make it more accessible? And how can you make it more expressive? I think that's it's not an easy challenge, but it's a challenge I'd have a lot of fun probably answering. I like it. And how about you, Saul? Dating is and relationships are as human as human can be. It's been part of us forever and will never go away. The business of dating is probably one of the best businesses you can go into. Kai? I don't, I don't disagree. I mean, you guys, you guys both have like, one is an addressable market yeah. for both of you guys, right? But you both picked, which I think is fascinating, like probably the, the most established, the, the two categories that have the most established, most proven competitors. Yeah. And you know what makes me psyched about that is that that doesn't deter you. Oh, very interesting. Because like, obviously there's Facebook and there's Snap and there's Twitter and there's WhatsApp and there's, you know, um, uh, TikTok. Sure. But uh, right. There's a thousand social media apps. But there are a thousand social media apps, right? But you said communication because you think it's going to be faster. You think it's going to be quicker, more expressive, et cetera. I love that. And you say dating. And yet there's Bumble, Tinder, Grindr, OkCupid, Christian Singles. um, eHarmony. Right? Yeah. But you're both right. You know? I, I think that what's funny is that you guys, whether you'd picked any of them, would be nine out of 10 people would pick any of them but music. Mm. And I would argue that for entrepreneurs, it's just tricky because the perception is it's so hard. And I think the reality is that. The music industry has never been more poised to do creative stuff because what they paid for, that's a three and a half minute song, that's paid for, right? And they make the money either from selling a record back in the day or by downloads and now Mm -hmm. by streaming. And we can argue all day long how much they make from streaming, but trust me, it's a lot. Okay, cool. (laughs) But that being said, because of all the things we just mentioned or you guys just mentioned, music can be cut up, can be spliced, it can be wrapped. It can be geo-targeted. It can be given away. It can be used as promotion. Like never before. Like never before. Yeah. Because of the way we communicate and it can be bilateral, you know? Like, and I think that's what's exciting. And so you look at Marshmallow, who's the artist who on record has had the largest concert of anyone in the world because he did it inside of Fortnite. Yep. Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. My eight-year-old cousin was there. He texted me about it. He really wanted me there. He's like, come, come meet me in this thing. It was a virtual yeah, concert, a concert inside of Fortnite. Oh everyone got into the same, like, for, like, I mean, there was a bunch of different worlds, but everyone got into different Fortnite uh, maps. And Marshmallow, actually for a while, well, I, was, I, was, I was addicted at the time. For a while, they were building uh, Marshmallow's stage in the game. How many people? 
what did it end up? I think it was like 10 or 20 million people. Yeah. Wow. Attending a concert. And so it's like, I mean, listen, there, there are moments where I want to be at a Sean Mendes concert, right? With my son. And it's like unbelievable, the artistry for someone that popular. And then there are nights where like, you want to go see, you know, Neil Young at Carnegie Hall. And there are nights that like you want to go to a rave and there are nights that you want to go to a concert that, that's just not that good, but you hear that the person's good. And it's, it's all exciting stuff. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing to me that's as primal and as unifying as when the lights go down and the crowd just goes nuts. And I think that when Lady Gaga's single dropped last night at midnight, I was just as excited about that. I had the same like excitement as I did like when I would rip open an album of the Fat Boys or Beastie Boys back in the day. And the point is, a lot of times you listen to it, this is the best part of music, and you're like, this has nothing to do with that song I heard, but you hear the single and you're like, that's shit. Your friend's like, oh God, they really, she really, he really, they really fucked up this time. Mm-hmm. And like four days later, you're like, Dina Papa, You're like, I'm so in, so it's the greatest song. And it's like, huh, is it a science? You know what I mean? Like, is it, do they just know how to turn out fucking hits? And, you know, I I don't know the answer to that. So the music industry is is as complex as you want to make it. There is no world in which TikTok will be the only platform that has innovation regarding music. And I think that the artists are, I'll put it this way. Imagine if every GIF led to streaming a movie. There are 20 to 30 billion gifts being shared a day. Imagine when you could disseminate pieces of music, agnostic to our company. Seriously, I don't care who does it. But when music becomes part of an expression and my son is diving off the diving board and it's Don't Stop Believing by Journey, and I send that to you and you don't know who Journey is, and, but you love my son because he's your godson. You're like, shit. And you add that to your playlist. That's really interesting. But on the other side, I also believe that like, I want expressions. I want artists making music for streaming and for, con- for, con- for you know, for um, the ability to enjoy. But I also am excited to see what artists are going to do for games and for short form expression. Said, All right, we're going to do the, uh, let's do the final question because this is actually the longest interview we've recorded. You've blown our minds a couple of times over. <laughs> so... <laughs> The final question. Yeah. We ask all our guests this question at the end of every interview. Sure. Is entrepreneurship born or made? And you cannot say both. Oh, it's, it's totally born. Now, how if I'm, this is like a fun experiment. If you're speaking to someone on the phone, not on a Google Hangout, on the phone, you can actually tell if they're smiling or not. Did you know that? You can hear a smile through the phone. And yes. Your, your listeners yes. will try that. That's the same thing about being an entrepreneur. You know when you meet somebody if they're an entrepreneur or not. And I have met yep. entrepreneurs who didn't even know they were born entrepreneurs who are working selling popcorn at the Lowe's Theater. And I'm thinking, you just feel it. Yeah. You know? Wow. So it's born. Well said. Really well said. That was great. Yeah. All right, Andy. Thank, thank you. you guys. Andy, you guys thank you for coming up. in. This was this was a lot of fun. You're the man. No, and you guys crack me up. I, I really know. I will say this: um, the world the world is lucky to have guys like you who actually are so engaged that you want to meet all these different people because 
when you're coming up, I think the greatest thing you can get is the access yeah. and the ability to listen to any of us and kill, copy, and optimize what we talk about and learn from it. Like, great. We just want, like, we want, honestly, future leaders, especially young women and young men. And you guys are a great representation of that. Um, but I had a blast and I will definitely recommend people to listen and to learn. Thank you. <laughs> and by the way, you are welcome back whenever you are you very much welcome back to the show, man. I have to check with upper management because I definitely am past my curfew. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Andy, thank you. Thank, thank you, you guys. And we are back with Casual Poor. That was Andy Blacker. It was great stuff. Great stuff. Great, great guy. We love him. Now, let's talk about... Don't we say we love everyone? We do. Well, I guess, we, yeah, we wouldn't bring them on if we didn't love them. Yeah. Yeah. We're delivering quality content. Yeah, I'm not going to feel bad about it. Let's talk about Arrival. Kia and Hyundai have just invested $110 million into the new electric vehicle startup, Arrival. Arrival is building purpose-built vehicles, which are vehicles, electric vehicles that are built for very specific use cases, not just your run-of-the-mill everyday cars that you could use for a bunch of random different things, like going to the grocery store or just going to travel across the country or doing whatever it is that you do in a car. Kia and Hyundai have invested 110 mil together into them. It's not their first deal that they've done together, but it is certainly the most exciting one that they've done together. Sal, how do you feel? So all these legacy auto manufacturers, and when I say legacy auto manufacturers, I really mean like literally every car manufacturer right now. They're trying- That's not Tesla. Right, that's not Tesla. They're trying to get in the EV game. They're investing a ton of money. Um, and, and some are investing in the wrong places, some in the right places. Listen, I don't know if this Hyundai Kia investment is the right place to put their money. Um, maybe they should spend more of their money focused on literally transforming their entire fleet to EVs, which they're doing, but that's not for another 10 years. It's happening now, not in 10 years. Well, production schedules for cars take time. Like they're making the commitment. Sure. I'll get back to that in a second. But in Arrival's case, so guys, Arrival's really an interesting company because if you look at what they're doing. So it's purpose-built vehicles, right? Vehicles built for UPS, for food deliveries. Um, this is something nobody else is doing. So you got Rivian on the very focused on pickup trucks and SUVs, mm -hmm. uh, which, you know, I think they just got a $700, $700 million investment from Amazon. I don't know if that's the number. They just got a big- I think it was a 700 million total round or something like that. Yeah. And then a portion of that came from Amazon. Yeah, they got, they got a lot of money from Amazon. Yep, a lot of money. Um, and then you got Tesla also on the consumer side, they're, you know, they have the Cybertruck, but they have their sedans, which is what they're most known for. And then you have companies that are working on giant, giant trucks, like actual trucks that transport goods. Um, Arrival's working on right in the middle, which is like these purpose-built vehicles. So they're, they're a great niche. And if you're trying to get into the EV game, don't do what everyone else is doing. So it's funny because there's a lot of other EV companies like Fisker that tried and failed to compete with Tesla because they're basically doing the same thing. Um, I'm trying to think of another EV company startup. Um, Rivian, Tesla. No, the ones that failed. Oh, EV companies that failed or are failing. Byton. Byton. I heard of one called Lumen a while ago. The point is, it's so hard to build 
a auto company. Also, just to correct the record quickly, yeah. um, it was $1.3 in their last round. Nice. A piece of that came from Amazon. Got Indian. it. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. Yep. So my point here is that Arrival, this company, is making purpose-built vehicles, and it's a great niche. Nobody else is doing it. The problem I have is all these legacy auto manufacturers, they're not competing. Like They got to step up their game. Tesla's, Tesla cars drive themselves. They have giant touchscreen monitors. You, the cars can be updated through the air. Uh, set aside EVs. Updated, you mean through the cloud? Through the cloud. <laughs> well, that's what I mean, over, over the air. Just you blow know? on it. <laughs> nice, go on. <laughs> but, but, but no other car company can do that. Set aside electric, electric power for a second. These cars have tech that blow, Tesla has tech that blows away anything else on the market mm -hmm. from anyone else. Yep. And so these other companies like Mercedes, BMW, Ford, GM, they have to step up their game or they're not going to win. I agree. I look, I think the, uh, it's clear that the, uh, the arc of the electric vehicle market will bend towards electric vehicles. Consumer demand is there. It's clearly better for the environment. Um, ultimately, it's more economical. So it, Plus, if, it becomes safer. Yeah. I want to... So that to me is clear. Like anyone who's not investing that is fucked. Yeah. What's, but that, that kind of says, okay, well then Tesla's going to be the new guy, the new kid on the block and the only guy that's gonna, that you're going to be Well, they're not the new kid. Well, you know what I'm saying? The, 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 relatively speaking, next to Mercedes, the yeah. new kid on the block, right? And $100 billion market cap. $100 billion market More cap. than GM and Ford combined. No way. I'm going to double check that. Double check that. That's a crazy number if it's yeah. true. But my thing is, Arrival to me is kind of the only company that I think could stand a chance here. I mean, everyone else is like, they're going to compete on they're the consumer. They're, 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 they're playing on a different, they're a different realm. Yeah. Right. Like you look at, let's say I'm trying to get, first let's talk about what a purpose-built vehicle is. They basically have what they built to something called a skateboard platform. By the way, it is more than GM and Ford combined. Holy moly. Yes. I said holy moly a lot today. It's fine. Yeah. The, um, you do you. I'm going to do me. The, um, what's it called? So they started off with this thing called the skateboard platform. Basically just the bed of the car with some wheels. That is Arrival's base car. From there, they build every single thing on top of that base specific for who's asking for it. So if you're like UPS. Custom built. Custom built. Yeah. So instead of retrofitting another car into being a UPS truck, you're building an electric UPS truck from for, scratch. For UPS. For UPS. Whatever that looks like, right? For UPS specifically, then deploying updates for UPS specifically, right? Take that, extend it out of just that, take it to food trucks, take it to ambulances, take it to all these other different types of vehicles that need to exist. And imagine having them, instead of retrofitting big cars or existing cars, building them from scratch for these things. The innovation is going to be out of this world. And that lets them compete with Tesla for, let's say, UPS's business or for like Northwell Medical's but business. But again, Tesla's not playing that game right now. Well, they've been trying. They've been launching trucks. They've been trying. They've been investing in things like that. No. I'm not talking about the cyber truck. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. But Arrival's focused on the UPS customer. Um, right. Like you're never going to see an Arrival truck. Right. I mean, right now. Right. Right. Um, and I think the problem is, I, I know a lot of people wonder, I think a lot of people walk around and like, yeah, EVs are, electric vehicles are happening. They're coming up. But uh, people don't realize, people aren't thinking about why they aren't here yet. Other than, of course, auto manufacturers not pushing enough. But also it's that people, when I was working at Exelon, um, we were trying to figure out how to get more people into electric vehicles. 
nobody nobody knows anything about electric vehicles. Like it's a total mm-hmm. new change. It's a lifestyle change. You're not going to the gas station. <laughs> yeah. People aren't used to electric vehicles. They look at them and they think that they're scary. Interesting. I guess I guess, you know, from like our metropolitan kind of bubble that we live in, we're right. used to seeing EVs everywhere all the time and you know, you see the little charging stations and parking lots and shit like that. I can exactly. imagine, yeah, like if you're in the middle of, you know, some suburb somewhere, that's that's probably new. I, I think that uh, a lot of the auto manufacturers have to step up education too. Like people just don't know how EVs work. Your average Joe doesn't know how to plug in their car. I saw a video the other day of a woman who took her Tesla to the gas station and tried to put the the gas thing in the battery. Why'd you buy a Tesla? <laughs> I don't. That's know. like the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that's EVs. Nice. That's EVs. Any uh, anything else we want to talk about today? No, I think we did a good job staying away from coronavirus. That was the number one goal of this. It was really hard to come up with topics. It was really hard to talk about. Go on to any news site. But but um, listen, just everyone be safe. Wash your hands. Yada, yada, yada. Do all the Listen to the CDC. Regular, yeah. Go to their website, cdc.gov. And, you know, just, just don't, just don't freak out. Yeah. Just do your thing. It's going to be fun. Anyways, fuck it. Yeah. That wraps up. <laughs> that wraps up today's episode. Thank you everyone for watching. Don't forget to like, subscribe, comment, share it with everybody you know. Yeah, share. Yeah. Shares, shares work. Shares, shares work. Shares share work. it about. Yes. Share it out and around. Yes. Yeah. And um, we will see you next Tuesday. We will see you next Tuesday.